Good morning, Bethel. I'm Dirk Ottendries, and it's my privilege to be reading to you from Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 2, and then we skip through to 6, and then we read it through 11. Uh, that's, you can find it in your pew Bible at page 969. Uh, if you brought your own Bible, that's awesome, but it's probably in the back, right? If you have an electronic device, you're on your own. You can also read um, with me on the overhead or just listen. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we're going on to 6. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not in, did not go in because of their disobedience. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish but follow their example of disobedience. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks, Dirk. There's some tissue paper here. I wonder how that got there. All right. Uh, please have your Bibles open to Hebrews 4. This is where we'll be this morning. Pray with me. So, Father, we ask that you speak to us this morning. Help us to understand this passage in Hebrews 4. But more than anything, help us to rest in you, Lord. The peace you promised the world is something we see is desperately needed, but often we each feel very far away from it. So, Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, you would speak to us. Help us see how we can rest in your peace this season and even today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. I, I want to confess something this morning that I love music. So this time of year with Advent songs, hymns, I love it. But I have a weird relationship with concerts. So now I, some of you probably love concerts, which I completely understand. 
And I do too. But here's one of my pet peeves about a concert. I remember when Christy and I were, uh, date, were dating and I was trying to get to know some of her friends. And so we went to a concert. Worst idea if you want to build a relationship with someone. My opinion, you don't have to agree with me, but the reason is, is because the way I want to build a relationship with someone is I want to talk to you. I want to listen to you. But then we go to this concert with an artist that Christy and I both love, and I'm really excited to see them. I'm excited to be with the people I'm with. And then all of a sudden I realize, wow, I can't talk to Christy at all at this concert. I can't talk to these people at all. I could barely hear anyone around me. And probably it's because I, I honestly feel like my hearing's not always the best. But, I, you know, I was, it's disorienting when you go to a big experience and there's so much noise, which I love the noise if I was not also trying to talk to people at the same time. A lot of noise. And then I find after the concert, which is blaring loud, I can't even hear after. And I, that I share this to say that that there are things that we experience in life, like the busyness of this Christmas and Advent season, that are so loud that you can barely hear each other talking. You can barely see the movement of each other's lips. And let alone just one another, how can we not only just listen to each other, but actually hear God? In the midst of a time in life where things have to be so full and we get so full and overcapacity that we barely have space, emotionally, spiritually, for anything else. How does that noise impact us? It means we don't listen, and it means we don't hear. We're in this series called The Gifts of Christmas, and, you know, Advent means coming. That's always what it means when we say Advent. So Jesus has come, he is coming, and we've been using these gifts and reflecting on these gifts as ways to understand and see Jesus in Christmas, because it's very easy to get confused about what Christmas is all about. But these gifts help us. So we've had the different gifts here. We have the gift of hope, and we used an image of an anchor for that. The grounding of God in the midst of uncertain times. And then this ornament, which is a little more nuanced, but some, I really like where we end with, because you have different fingerprints around the cross, that Christ is all and in all. He's brought us together, and through us being together, he's bringing joy to each of us. The call of Advent is towards joy in one another and in Jesus. And then we use this other one with the big fluffy pillow, right? Very soft pillow. And I noticed that my son specifically positioned himself so he was closest to the pillow because he knew what was going on. And the pillow, I, mean, I don't know if you heard it clearly or not, the pillow, what we intend to communicate or just, just an image for this is, is rest. That, you know, the season of life, we're actually called to rest. And that, might, that seems so countercultural cultural if you think about it because of the pace of life, the expectations we put on ourselves or others put on us, that we rarely slow down enough to receive the gift, and we don't slow down enough to hear the song. One of the hymns that I reflected on this year that I've, brand new to me, I don't know all the hymns, I definitely don't, but this is one hymn that I really appreciated. It's called, It Came Upon the Midnight Clearing. Have you heard it? It came upon the midnight clearing. It, it takes me to this moment where I just think about the little town of Bethlehem that was quiet, serene, but it was written in a dark time at the end of another war, war in 1849. And the author of the hymn, he's writing thinking another war, another injustice, another harm is happening to the world, and yet we still don't hear it. We still don't hear what God wants us to hear. Here are a few lines from the hymn. You might not know it because I certainly didn't. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, 
from angels bending near and earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. From the heavens, all gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. And a few lines in a lower stanza, it says this. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. They, they, they make uh, noise-canceling devices. You can find all kinds of things, things you can put in an office or any headphone you make is trying to be noise-canceling. And we really actually need some kind of noise cancellation to happen in our minds and our hearts. There's too much noise around us that even if we're in Bethlehem, I'm not sure we would have heard the angels sing. I'm not sure we would have heard the announcement that Jesus was born, that we are to come and proclaim the good news that God has come into the world. And that line, oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife. How much strife is in our world today? The strife of quarreling, the strife that not only separates us as people, but it hardens our hearts. There's a quote by a pastor named Mark Buchanan. He's a pastor theologian. He says this, We have let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed the ego, but starve the soul. Busyness kills the heart. And so then we have the image of the pillow. We have an image of rest. And it's an image that's intended to remind us that rest is something that we need to find ourselves in, something we need to pursue. It's something that must be cultivated. And it's something that's very important for you and I. And so the guiding question for today is how do we embrace rest? How do I nurture it? You might wonder yourself, as hard as you try, maybe you find, I keep I know it's important for me. I don't get sleep. My schedule gets too busy. And I'm lost and stressed and anxious. That might be you this morning. Or maybe you feel like you don't have as much to do, per se, but you feel restless. You can't stay still. Hebrews 4 is part of a sermon. We're jumping in in a sermon in a letter. We don't actually know the author of Hebrews. He writes a lot with a lot of authority, and he's steeped in the Scriptures. And in this letter, he's writing about the supremacy of Jesus, how everything revolves around Jesus, and it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and also promises in the New Testament. And one of the things he talks about is the promise of Sabbath rest in this chapter, that Sabbath rest is promised to us. It's promised to those who persevere in faith. But the people that, this letter, that receive this letter and us too, we don't always feel restful. We might feel, know Jesus or feel like we've heard the good news preached to us, and yet we feel restless. And so what this author, which I will refer to as the pastor, he's their pastor, the pastor for the Hebrews, he is trying to appeal to his people saying, this is a gift you need to open. This is a gift you need. You might think, wow, you have everything figured out or you're, you're doing okay, Regardless of where you are today, you need this gift. This is a gift we need, a gift of rest, what it means to be present to God as he is present to us. And so what I'd like to do in looking at these verses that Dirk read for us this morning is talk about three parts of this gift. One is who we were made to be, rest, which is part of who we're made to be. The second is what gets in the way from us experiencing rest. And then the third is, how do we enter into it? Who we were made to be, 
what gets in the way, and how we're meant to enter into it. Hebrews is a very thick book in the Bible. There's lots of references um, in Scripture, and you see that right away when you look at the beginning of Hebrews 4. It is immediately trying to help us see this connection that the good news in Jesus Christ is the news that the gift of peace is for the world. And it reflects on rest and the promise of rest specifically, but it does so by pointing to all different directions in Scripture. It's one of these books that you read one verse and you think, wow, that's pointing all different ways. And the way it immediately talks about rest is it takes us to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 3. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested. God created for six days and he rested for the seventh day from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know, you can see this picked up if you read the Bible very early on in what become the Ten Commandments and in the law in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 5 talks about the, the Sabbath day in this way. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Just as God made it holy, you need to keep it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. And so there's connection God rested after creating for you know, six days and the rested on the seventh day. He declared it holy. We should also work, give of ourselves for six days, and then rest on a seventh day. It's interesting to think about that because all throughout tradition and church history, sometimes Sunday would be used exactly for that purpose. You know, Sunday is my Sabbath day, my day of resting away from work. But I also, you know, I work on Sunday, so does that mean it's Sabbath for me? You know, in truth, you know, whatever you decide the Sabbath is, if I were to ask you, out, you know, outside of prying ears, would I ask you, do you practice the Sabbath? Do you rest? Do you have an intentional act of resting from the, from the work you do? Many people really hold, many, many strong Christians really hold, we still need this seventh-day rhythm. I often heard it, the last time that the seventh-day rhythm was altered was the French Revolution, they went to the 10-day week, and then a, French revo- and then a revolution happened. <laughs> it's something about the design of people, all of us, built in a rhythm of seven days. And one of the days, as God is saying, is a design for rest. The Sabbath, which is a Hebrew root word, is Shabbat, if you've ever heard the Hebrew talk about it, which means stop, to stop. But it also means to delight, to stop from all that you're doing and to delight in God. You know, we oftentimes I hope Sundays involve this for many of you that Sabbath this, this Sunday is your Sabbath, and if it's not that's okay too. But what I would encourage you to is the act of stopping, of ceasing. Because the pastor in Hebrews what he's saying is that what what is the Sabbath for? It's for rest and it's meant for you and for me. The promise still stands for everyone. The promise stands He goes to all these different texts, referring to Genesis, referring to Deuteronomy, saying this still matters, that we cultivate a spirit of restfulness within us that we could actually be present to God completely. You know, it's the idea that the spirit of restfulness is to the Sabbath as the, the basketball practice is to the game. It's the idea that 
I'm going to commit to my, my practice and routine and scheduling of cultivating restfulness in my life. But then when it actually comes to the time, I'm actually going to practice it. I'm actually going to set aside the time and demonstrate how I live in peace and rest with God. Jesus says in Mark 2 that Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. It's not about legalism, but it's about actually leaning into your design. What the rest is for, it's meant for us because God himself designed us for this purpose. So when we actually step, out, when we actually step outside of our design, we harm ourselves. We attempt to do too much. We were made for Sabbath rest. Sabbath, which I've listed a few things here, Sabbath, which is rest that ceases from work for worship. To cease from work means I've actually accomplished enough. Every single day is almost a Sabbath moment if you think about it. I've done enough today. I'm actually going to say today was enough. Sabbath, rest that ceases from work for worship. It also is rest that resists the patterns of deformation, which I don't want to go into too much detail, but you think about your entire life and how you're ordered and structured that the busyness, the haste of the day, the noise, it forms you as a person. And it doesn't necessarily form you for the good. So rest actually is a way of resetting that pattern. And then Sabbath as rest also delights in God. We were made for rest, true restfulness. Here's one more quote for you. It's a Ronald Rollheiser who's actually from Alberta. He says this, true restfulness through though, is a form of awareness. Restfulness is an awareness, a way of being in life. It is living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. Actually, at the end of your day, thinking, God, today was enough. What a gift that would be. So my next point is this, rest, what gets in the way? All the things that gets in the way, which the first thing, which is why I began, already is telling this. It's the noise. It's the pace of life, the distractions. You think about all the things at the end of your day going through your head and your mind. Wow, can I really calm down from all of this? All of these things get in the way from the promise. Hebrews 4.1, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, the rest that belongs to God, the rest that is God, it still stands. In this whole passage, what it refers to when it talks about what gets in the way, it uses a word I almost wish it didn't use. It uses the word disobedience. So God, when I don't rest, I'm disobeying. It uses the word disobedience in a couple different places. Verse 6, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. And even towards the end, verse 11, Perish by following the example of disobedience. So then what he says in verse 7 tells us exactly what we're supposed to hear is that God, again, set a certain day today. Whether people from the past or the present, you're meant to hear this now to not harden your hearts based upon when God offers you rest. So it's important when we think about what are all the things that get in the way. That we can actually deceive ourselves about what is good for us. Well, it's good if I can make it to all of the different calendar events. Or it's good if I can provide for myself or all my family. That's good. But that's not ultimately offering peace. That's not ultimately offering the rest 
that God is talking about. The problem is, is what happened to the people in the Old Testament as it went with us today. It could happen for us today. You could hear this message and walk away, and this could still happen for you. And that is that you could attempt to meet the challenge of restfulness versus restlessness without your faith, without God. You could try to fix it yourself. Don't. Don't try to fix it yourself without faith. You can look at verse 2. It says this, 4-2. It says, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. It's not because they didn't, have, they didn't know about Jesus. It's, they had the good news proclaimed to them. It is because when they heard it, when they met the challenge, thinking back in the desert about what way do I go, they tried to resolve the problem themselves apart from God. They heard about the promised rest, but did not respond to it when united with faith. The problem is when we try to figure out how to make things more restful apart from God, which doesn't actually work. You don't actually make peace in the world without God. You can't bring about the perfect peace that the Bible describes without God. No matter how good your idea or ideas are, no matter how good your intentions are, and what it talks about, it references Psalm 95, but it references this moment for the people in the Old Testament when God gives them the gift of going into the promised land. We talked about that not too long ago. The promised land. And when they do, they think, ah, we can't, be, we can't defeat those people that are in the land. And what they do is they doubt God. The promises in Scripture they, firm, they actually serve the purpose of softening our hearts and opening us up, up in trust to who God is. But when we doubt who God is, our heart hardens over time. We deceive ourselves about what is good. We question the path. And then we don't even see the presence of God. We don't even see the gift of peace around us, even when, if we're dealing honest, our family, our life, our society is anxious and troubled. What gets in the way is the noise in that moment that we question who God is and what he's doing for us. And it's meant to be an inheritance. You think about how the Sabbath rest is supposed to be for the people of God. It's meant to be a gift that you can go to bat for, you can lean on. But we let society change us and transform us over time. So the first is rest, what we're meant for. We're created for rest, God shows us. The second is what gets in the way. The noise, or it says disobedience, so the way we deceive ourselves that we know the problem and try to do it apart from God. But here's the rest and how we enter in, how we actually step in, which maybe you're wondering about. And one of the keys to this shift is is when you look at your life, you look at your schedule, it takes the realization and confession that life is not about you. Life is not about you, it is about God. And that might be hard when you've lived out in the world for a long amount of time because the logic and worldview of a paced life is that you, if you want something to be done, you have to do it for yourself. If you want to feel a certain way, you need to do what you need to do for you to feel that way. And for your life to look exactly the way you want it to look, you need to make it look that way. Whether you, you're covering your, your brand management on your social media or you're doing it in person and you do it through a smile. 
That, that all is based upon what you need to do for you to feel and look the way you need to feel. And that is counter to rest, which basically says that this all, Sabbath rest, isn't about me. It's actually about God, how I cease from all the striving and I actually delight in seeing who God is and make myself present to God and that God is the source of all peace and goodness. And I want to be around that. Because I'm tired about what I see on Instagram. I'm tired about what I see in my workplace or what happens when my family gets together. I would want to be about the Sabbath rest of God, the peace that comes. And Christ was born to be the Prince of Peace for us, to bring about a peace which Isaiah talks about, which is everlasting. It has no end. For you, if you feel caught up in, you know, you know, just the rush and hurry of being caught up in the noise for you. That's what he says in Hebrews 4, 9. For you, if you feel deceived, if you feel lost, he says for you, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Not for the people of self-consumption, for the people of busyness, for the people being lost in noise. No, it is the people that are orienting their life around God. The source of peace, the source of rest. And then when he says, after verse 9, he says, Hebrews 4.10, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. You might need to do some reflection after this of what is the noise for you. What is causing noise in your life? Whether it is conversations that keep happening around you, whether it is the chatter from online sources, whether it's just because you've overcommitted yourself. But all those things get in the way from this, of seeing, listening to the God who is here with you, the God of perfect peace. And when you talk about Sabbath, so many of us probably don't have very strong Sabbath practices. I wouldn't going to go on a leap and say that is the case. What does it mean to have a strong Sabbath practice? What that means is to have an intentional way that you rest. How do you rest? Walter Brueggemann, who's a famous theologian, he says this, that people who keep Sabbath live the other six days differently. That if you're going to actually intentionally engage in Sabbath, it not, doesn't, it's not just for one day. Every single other day should feel a little different. It should be characterized by this restfulness of the Sabbath. But just in case, just, you know, you might be able to see that in your life where it's like, you know, I, I, I don't actually have a day that I rest. You might be able to see that. Maybe you can't see that. But seeing it is just the first step. It's not enough to see that. I know for me, like I am constantly observing myself and observing what's happening around me, but it's not enough just to see it. The pathway to change is one about habits. It's about habits shaped by grace, habits that form and shape us in the image of Jesus, following in step with the way of life that Jesus described for us. Um, one of the authors and pastors that I really appreciate is John Mark Comer, who talks about the ruthless elimination of hurry. That's one of his books. And he talks about four principles that pretty much anyone in discipleship and spiritual formation will highlight for us. But if we want to be serious about Sabbath, it means cultivating habits that are that have space for silence and solitude, times when we are quiet and by ourselves. It means that if we want to unhurry our life, we need to actually practice the Sabbath. How do you actually practice it? How do you actually have time set aside where I'm not going to be doing work? I'm going to be delighting in God, delighting in his goodness because it's sweet. Like for me, a lot of times for me as a pastor, I use Friday to Saturday as a Sabbath. 
I complete my work I need to do for Friday, and then Friday to Saturday is time for Sabbath. But that doesn't look like I'm going to be really quiet and only eat crackers and not really do anything fun. No, like for me, that looks like tobogganing outside, <laughs> like playing with my kids, making breakfast for my kids, delighting in the gifts God's given me, and also saying that you've given me these good gifts, God, and they are from you. I'm going to go do some fun things. I'm going to spend some time worshiping and praying, but I'm going to actually make the day to be exactly about you, not about me. To unhurry your life, silence and solitude, a Sabbath that is intentional with who you are. A sab- also to unhurry your life, it means simplicity. Like we make our lives really complicated. We should simplify them. That actually the simple contains the good. And then the fourth principle is to slow down. You won't hear the angels sing if you're going at the pace that is beyond the blip that you can hear them. That this kind of way of life of restfulness is how you enter into this life with God. It is focusing on God, not on your terms, not on your convenience, but saying, no, I mean, week out, weekend, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to have times where I pray. I'm going to commune with God in quiet. I'm going to rest in him and practice the Sabbath thing that's not really familiar with me, but I'm going to figure it out. And simplicity, I'm going to uncomplicate my life, and I'm going to slow down. You know, this passage, this section of chapter 4, because it keeps going into to the rest of 5, it, it repeats today five times. And it's referencing passages of the past, too. It's referencing today five times, and it says rest about 13 times. And it's this tension of Christ has come. He's already born. And yet, some of the promises he's spoken about have not already come to fruition. And what it's intended to do is birth in you and I a longing for something far better that we're made for. The pace of life you sometimes experience, the stress and different relationships that really remind us of our desire and need for peace— are doing exactly what they need to do. They need to remind us that we were not made for this world. We're made for a world that's that's remade and reshaped to be perfectly with God forever. And it evokes this longing for a far country, a heavenly one. Just a few chapters in Hebrews, I wanted to read these few verses here because Hebrews 11 is this chapter where look at this person who bared witness and held on to their faith By faith, they endured great difficulty. You can go through each story in chapter 11 and think, wow, these are people who endured very hard things. But they also didn't know a lot. They knew that God promised them good, promised them even rest, but they didn't quite know what was going to happen. So then if you look, Hebrews 11, I'm going to read from verse 13. The words will be on the screen. It says, Hebrews 11, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. You know, we're There are times when I feel stressed out in life. I feel too busy. I feel concerned. And it feels like an absence of peace. But in those moments, I and I would encourage you as well, I want to remind myself that I'm not made for this place. The evil, like we we celebrated 33 years since a horrible mass shooting that happened in Canada. I was researching that because I didn't know the history of that. It, it, It deeply saddened me. It infuriated me. 
But these kind of atrocities and tragedies, this is not what we're made for. We're made for the faraway country, the heavenly one. And we know and we get a glimpse of it. We get a glimpse of the peace that God's promised us and we're asked to step in faith in it because Jesus himself reveals that the peace in his kingdom is going to be forever, forevermore. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And as they do, I just want to ask you, like, how, how do you want to hush the noise in your life? Like I, I, we put this gift in front of you, which some of you might open up at home if you're doing our Advent boxes, this gift of rest. And I would just like to say it's not an optional one. Because of Christ, we have been given everything we could possibly need in life, and it includes the rest. You might feel you can push harder, but God wants you to rest in him, to not strive, to not get caught up in quarreling. And even what obedience might look like is saying, I'm going to slow down and say, God, what you, who you are and what you're doing in my life is enough for today. And I'm going to practice gratefulness. There's a, there's a line, and I'm going to go back to it came upon a midnight clearing. And I don't want to go through all of it. Um, let's go to the second, the, the last verse I had there. It ends by looking at Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And I think for all of us, we just need to be reminded, and we need Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. We need to be reminded that we're not going to solve all the problems around us, but we do need to follow the King who is the source of all peace. And so this is the last line that sometimes gets left off the hymns. It gets left off the, the hymn when you might find it somewhere else. But it came upon a midnight clearing. It says this, O Prince of Peace on whom we cast our every cross and care, come enter thou our longing hearts and make thy dwelling there for him to make his dwelling in our hearts. And may we mid our daily toil to thee our praises bring until on high we learn the song that now the angels sing. The intention of hushing the noise, of quieting the world around us, is to be near to God. And it is not just to hear the angels sing, but to join them. God wants you to join the song, the song that's been singing throughout all ages and sings loudly now. Let's do that together. Please join with me in praying. Lord, I, I, I want to pray first for the restless who are among us, Lord, for people who feel like they don't know where to go, they don't know where the peace is going to come from. And Lord, I pray that your peace be, would be, be with them, that you would comfort them and care for them. Many of us, all of us have times in life when we feel out of control and feel lost, and the fears of the world are overwhelming. Please remind us of your peace that we can trust you, and it's upon your rock that we stand, your, your, you are, that you would be our refuge. And Lord, I pray that we would not only see the ways that we are feeling tired, we are feeling overwhelmed by the noise, but that you and your grace would lead us towards change. Change by looking at you, delighting at you through what the Sabbath tells us, to rest in your promises, to rest in your truth, and to proclaim that your work for us is enough. You died for us so that we would not be anxious. You died for us so we would not try to save ourselves. You died for us that we would be free and have everlasting rest. So please, Lord, help us to hear you and to see how you would desire to move in our lives towards change and healing.
And help us this Christmas season to behold your glory and to receive your peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.